And well, I've only been about. on 94, so 94. I'm like, like 65% of the time. Uh, you're doing math again. Yeah, don't do that. It hurts my hands. <laughs> I'm not doing math. I'm, I'm, I pulled up the calculator app and had to do the math. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's his secret, Tammy. He's got a calculator. Oh. We're stuck with slide rules and using a calculator. Jeez, I've been having an abacus over here. Everybody on this, besides me on this podcast, is using their computers to do things like art and music. And I'm here, you know, making my computer compute. <laughs> Simple digits. So in this lame. Case. <laughs> That's because you're the computer science guy on the show. <laughs> So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 145 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra, and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Tammy Coron down south of the Mason-Dixon line in Tennessee. Hey, now. West Tennessee, in fact, right? Yeah, as west oh, as you can get, people, almost. People are going to triangulate soon. I'm done for. Yep. You're good. All right. So I don't hear the chickens or the peeps. It's nighttime. They're asleep. Yes. Oh, I should apologize to anyone listening to the podcast right now that there are a bunch of baby peeps sitting right next to me. So if you hear some peeping and peeping and peeping, I apologize. And if you hear some mewing and mewing and mewing, that means the cats are trying to get to the peeping. <laughs> All right. So um, we have a couple of Ask MTJCs. We have an old one. Isn't this, this an Ask MTJC, Jaime, that your discussion with Weihan? Yes. Um, I was out last episode, so we didn't really have a chance to, to address it. But there's a bit of conversation around uh, Visual Studio for Mac, which we talked about. And it, it's really more of uh, Xamarin Studio uh, with a, a nice fresh coat of paint down there um, from, from Microsoft. And, and, and Weihan's contention was that uh, Xamarin's, quote, native iOS build is actually a Windows executable file wrapped in an emulator with some native UI static library bridge mm-hmm. to the Win- Windows executable. Um, so Xamarin is not, you know, not 100% native, and he's uh, apparently peeled open an IPA to have a look at this, and, and, he, and he found that. Um, and that's that's a fair point. So that goes way further into detail than sort of what I'd intended to do. And I think that's actually fair criticism of the way I portrayed it. I, my main point was that it was uh, different than, say, like Ionic, which is a, like an HTML5 type network. Or, right, and I also yeah, think I mentioned yeah. the show, stuff like uh, Apache Cordova, PhoneGap, which, you know, you have WebView guts. But then most of your the outer shell of your app is just like a very thin native wrapper that you you don't have to do too much, right? So it could be a Windows Phone app if you really wanted to. It could be an Android app. It could be an iOS app, and they're largely the same except for what they actually build out to. Um, so I think it's actually pretty good feedback. So thank you, uh, Weihan. I hope I'm getting that correct uh, for providing that feedback because the the flavor uh, may not have been fully like explained out the last time that I talked about it. So hopefully nobody was confused when I said like, eh, it's kind of native ish because it's, it's not web technology. It's at the very least, you know, C sharp technology, probably underneath the covers, which is, you know, a lot closer to being the true thing than say like JavaScript and HTML and CSS. Uh, but it's definitely, uh, you know, miles apart from being objective C and Swift. Right. So I, I want to mention that way hand, it's been a long time listener of the show. Thanks for listening. Um, but, uh, I have a weird question. Like, so how does a Windows EXE file run on iOS? Any any ideas? Because it's probably C based underneath the cover somewhere. Oh, okay, okay. I, I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> Wait, and hey, if you know the answer to that, That's or if you're, too, if you're computer science, yeah. if you're a different uh, listener, use a hashtag AskMTJC on um, on Twitter and, and give us that answer if, if you don't mind. 
So I, I happen to not know the answer, Tim, but I'm just speculating. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I wonder if that makes 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 them not only executable but exploitable. I wonder. Hmm. All right. Well, moving on, we have a we had a contact a contact on my website through our web form that I have on there. Uh, from Adam Beardsley, who is now a Patreon supporter. So thanks for supporting us. Uh, but he has a question. He's out of Michigan, and he's fairly new to iOS development, uh, avid listener of the show. Um, but he has a question. He's been looking at building a Riddle app. I guess it's a question and answer kind of app. Um, and he's found, he said he's seen a few examples that look very similar, and he just wondered if any of us know of any um, templated kind of apps that might be able to... Um, help him create his thing. I know I've looked at templated sites before. I don't know if you guys ever have for something for a beginner to build on or GitHub or something. Any ideas? There was a riddle app in particular. Yeah, not Mm. for riddle. There was a template (laughs) uh, app site that I can't think of the name of now, though. Right. There's a few of them around. I know that Big Nerd Ranch in their um, iOS book used to have, their iOS programming book used to, the very first example they had in there was was a quiz app. Um, but it didn't really go into much detail on that. Um, and I know we built a question and answer app for a client once where we used core data in the background and we, you know, populated it with questions and, uh, displayed the content that people would, could learn from on the web in a web view. And then we had a quiz that we built, um, but yeah, I'll think I'll think of uh, maybe I'll put some sh- in links in the show notes if I come across any um, templated sites. But you guys can't think of any offhand, right? No, not off the top of my head. It it definitely lends itself pretty well to a template. If you think about you know form based apps or or even just table view based apps, but I can't think of any project out there. Or not to say that there aren't some, but there's nothing that really jumps out. It's like, oh yeah, I saw that in a newsletter, or saw it on Twitter, or maybe just randomly came across it myself but we might have to follow up with that in a in a future episode if we can if we can find something or again if people out there listening know such a thing point us in the right direction that'd be great yeah for sure okay so and then uh, we move on moving on to the follow-up section we had a comment on the website thanks for sending your comments on the website and the name of the person is craig cruden has something to say for tammy So it'd be nice if the tirade about Apple declining quality were less tirade and more about specific problems. It's kind of sort of what Mark said last week, I think, too, right? I've heard a small number of people get really worked up about this issue, but have not had, uh, he's not had the same issues himself. Well, so I've had issues with Apple, uh, which makes me wonder what pr- if the problems are specific to certain hardware or certain development applications or how iOS is used. I put the Mac OS under some extreme pressure and have not had the same issues. Having a tirade about specifics is about as helpful as, well, our friend, who we're not going to mention on this show, uses Twitter. Is there any specifics actually spelling out how the issues might be helpful for others to avoid or about a tirade without substance? Not so much. I have to completely agree when anybody goes on a tirade about anything or complaints about anything and doesn't have specifics or even suggestions on how to fix the problem. I think it's really just random noise and you might as well toss it up to to white noise in a machine. Um, I could go into specifics like, for example, you know, working with Xcode. Here's a really, really simple issue that I run into all the time. And it's really not even a big issue. It doesn't prevent me from doing my job. It, it just, it's more of a nitpick. You know, I'll be working in Xcode and then I'll be switching from one file to another 
and the highlighting doesn't work in the project navigator. And it's like, really, why would the text of the file name, for example, or the folder name go white? Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. And not black. And it's like, really, I can't. This is like simple stuff. And again, it's little tiny things. And I remember there was a time. Here's here, here's another tirade. I remember when there was a time when that stuff. Steve Jobs would never let that happen. You would never have a situation where you'd be working and your UI would fight against you. And now all the time, it seems like it's fighting against you. Um, another specific would be just, you know, working on the machine. Like you, you have to understand that granted, I'm, I'm not, I'm probably not a great test case for this sort of stuff. Cause I'm on my computer 20 hours a day. I don't sleep a lot. I do a lot of work and yeah, I'm not the only one who does that. But in my experience, there are not a lot of people in my world that are working 20 hours a day. And when you're working your machine 20 hours a day, there was a time when I didn't have to worry about restarting and having my system get slower and slower and slower as I use it. But nowadays with the, the operating system with the Mac, I seem to at least have to restart like a full shutdown every other day and a restart every other day. And it's like, I never used to have to do that. I I could go weeks and weeks and weeks and just shut the lid and open it up in the morning and continue to work. And now, you know, like Slack will just stop working and, and, and the finder will just like spaz out on me. And I'm like, really? I'm trying to get my work done here, dude. You're really preventing me from doing that. So while they may not be the specifics you are looking for, that's kind of the best I can give you right now without going on a completely different tirade than nobody <laughs> wants to hear about. <laughs> yeah. And I can concur like some of the issues with, with iOS 10, um, on my phone, I've had things where, like, like you said the other day where you, you go to touch your, you go to do something on your phone and the screen just locks up or, you know, um, and sometimes it's the app that's the, the way the app is written or whatever. But as an example, the other day I was telling Mark that, uh, sometimes I put my phone in voiceover mode. If I want to, if I'm, if I'm not able to look at the screen while I, but I want to see what the content is on it, you can turn on voiceover mode and you can swipe downwards with two fingers and it'll start to read voiceover. will start reading the entire page. It'll start at the top and it'll read all the way down. So if you want to read like a really long document, you can do that. But I was doing that on my phone the other day and I was walking down the street and, you know, paying attention to, you know, don't want to get run over by cars. I live in a busy city, but, um, every time I turned my phone, just a slight angle, it would switch to landscape mode and voiceover would say landscape and stop reading. You know, so I'm thinking to myself, if I was vi- truly visually impaired, and that was the case with with, the, with with what I was expecting from that perspective, I would be pissed. You know, because because how are you supposed to get through your day if you can't? And it, again, you do the two finger swipe, and it starts reading from the top of the screen again. So you've already heard all that stuff already. So there's lots of little ways to do that. And you know, I I always joke that when Xcode unexpectedly crashes, there's nothing unexpected about that. <laughs> It, it's almost like the QA over there has diminished. You know, I, I've had somewhat a misfortune and a fortune going back into Xcode in, in the recent few past days here. And, you know, I've reconnected with everything I love about development, but I've also reconnected with everything I hate about it. And one of the things I hate about it is the fact that it's unreliable these days. And it again, it, it goes back to the little things like when I click 
on a file in my project navigator, I want to be able to read the file name. I don't want it to be white text on a light background. I can't read it. You know, I'm uh-huh. old. I'm visually impaired at this point. I can't freaking see. Don't make it harder <laughs> for me, you know? So, again, while it may not be the specifics that you're looking for or the big, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's what you're talking about. It's the little things and the little things are Mm -hmm. the big things. And when Steve was around, he understood that. I don't know that the team at Apple understands that right now. Yeah, no, I, I can throw I can throw in a, a comment about that too because I'm currently working on a large team. We have like 150 people in our mobile mobile development area, and that's you know developers and QA people and managers and business analysts and all kinds of stuff, right? But every project we work on, we work you know in an agile method, blah blah blah, and, and we we do all the kind of work on the code and we send it over to QA, and QA goes through every stupid thing that a user might do with a phone. Like it's amazing what they what they come up with to test the uh, different cases different size phones, different operating systems. You know, they, they let the phone sit there for 10 minutes and then try and use the app, you know, things you would not normally think of when you're developing an app. Um, and so to see things like Tammy's saying about Xcode, and I've seen it myself, like you tap on the file name and it goes in white on text, a white text on, on a white background, it's really hard to read. But having seen that kind of stuff, that wouldn't get past our QA department. You know, it might, sl- yes, okay, admittedly, things do slip through, they do good at App Store, but when we find them, we, we go back in and we fix them and somebody, you know, opens a bug and we do, but we do regression testing. We make sure that all of our stuff is as good as we can get it to be. And it, it I've been using Apple since like 1989 and it's, quite different now than it used to be, you know, five years ago and not never, never mind 15 years ago. Yeah. I need to say that even these tiny little nitpicks, look, man, these are not things that are going to make me switch from Apple anytime soon. I mean, I I just got done saying in a part of the show that may or may not air that I'm probably not going to get another iPhone, but I'm not about to switch operating systems. I had the pleasure in air quotes of working with uh, Windows 10 today. And yeah, Apple's still miles ahead of the game. But if they continue down this path of missing the little things, and this 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 white text on a light background in Xcode sounds so small, but when you're looking at Xcode 20 hours a day, it's freaking huge, right? And it ha- it's not just like a random bug that just showed up in the last version. It's been there for at least a good year. Yeah, two or three versions. Yeah, yeah it's sure. been there for a while. Fix it, okay? Freaking fix it because us developers... <laughs> let's, were- let's, file a, let's file a radar, Tammy. What do you say? No, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and do that. I ain't doing it. Y'all can do that. But seriously, dude, fix it, right? And there's so many other little tiny things and the little... Ti- it's like a marriage, right? These tiny little things that you never address become huge, big things. And then boom, all of a sudden you're standing in front of a lawyer going, I don't know how we got here, but I need to get away from this dude because I'm done, right? I'm not there yet with Apple. Don't worry, Bill. She's not talking about you. Yeah, don't worry, Bill. You're safe. (laughs) But I'm not there yet with Apple. But if it continues down this path, you know, Tim says, well, what are you going to switch to if you're not going to get an iPhone? And I'm like, sticks and a piece of paper because I'm done with technology. (laughs) I'm sick of it. Yeah. Tyrate done. I'm, I swear, I'm done. Yeah, and to quote Douglas Adams, you know, we're surrounded by technology when all we want is things that work. Exactly. All right. Uh, moving on. I'll, I'll, I'll add, just add one, yeah, one, one, one minor point. Um, and thank you again to, to Craig Rudin on, on giving that, that feedback about uh, about the Apple feedback that we had. Um, I will point out that I don't think I saw anybody 
defending Hulu, <laughs> I think was the main perpetrator oh, right. of the of the irateness that uh, that Tammy had. Uh, I think Apple was more of like an innocent bystander who also got <laughs> <laughs> who also got a little bit of love and attention because of uh, the Hulu piece. At least that's what I recall from listening to the episode. Hey, don't get <laughs> me started on Hulu, man. <laughs> no, please don't get her started. <laughs> Quickly, we have some other stuff to talk about. Um, so yeah, so uh, I was talking last week about traveling to the United States and the challenges of, of, of that and, and the fact that you're, even if you're a citizen of the United States of America, your phone can also get confiscated and taken away from you. And even though you're perfectly within your rights to get an entry into the country, 1Password, our friends over at 1Password, have introduced a travel mode for um, 1Password, which basically is a special... You can designate um, passwords and settings and things like that in 1Password that will be, be part of a travel mode set of... Uh, like a, a travel mode vault, I think they called it, right? Um, and when you enable this, it... It doesn't just mask all the other uh, all the other logins and information on your device. It actually removes them from the device, so they can't be you know surreptitiously extracted or de- de- unencrypted from your device. They are just not on the device. And then when you get to wherever it is you want to get to, once you cross that border, you can choose to download uh, the proper vault. And again, you know when you're ready to cross the border again, go back into travel mode. Now, the only thing about it that kind of annoys me is I've been a one password user since the very beginning, and I'm a huge supporter of one password. I even wrote tutorials on Ray Wernerlich about it. It's only for the, if you're part of the, the uh, Teams um, mode, I believe, or you have to have a membership on on uh, 1Password. So I'm a legacy user of 1Password. I paid for it once, and I've been, you know, ha- had to have the privilege of being able to use it ever since. But So if you are a, a, a have an odd membership, then you can give travel mode a shot, and it's free. So if you're going to WWDC in a couple of weeks, you can basically totally use that to uh, protect your, your data that you don't want uh, to lose. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, I so I guess I'm not affected by by this because of uh, the subscription piece because I, I am a one password subscriber so I'm not using oh, cool. like the Dropbox mode which I think is reasonably popular with with one passwords community. Um, it would be nice if they were to add that to you know sort of alternative modes outside of the subscription piece. Uh, however, I. I don't know. Like maybe there is some technical feasibility issue around that for just to give them sort of like the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm not going to assume necessarily that it's uh, business related, but I mean, it very well could be right. Like they, they definitely want you to have that full you know, subscription experience. So I can kind of understand that sort of thing. Um, even if yeah, it is a little maybe bit logistics thing, you're, I wasn't aware that you're a subscription user. So do you, does it store your vault on their servers? Is that how that works or? Yes. They're, they're, work? uh, well, okay. Let me take that back. I, it's been a while since I set it up. I think it is through iCloud syncing is I think what I have on there. I'd have oh, to okay. double check my options, but the, the thrust of it is like, you know, I could be halfway across the world. And as long as I have, you know, the information I need, you know, my master password. And then, you know, they give you that, that fancy code or the, or, or at least the QR code version that you can scan in to like really prove, like, even if you had the master password, can you really prove that, you know, some random person over in Tibet is actually me, like, let's say like on vacation or something, um, adding the one password vault, you know, locally to a new machine, it will, it will work. Right. And, and I've done that. So I, I set it up, I think initially through my MacBook. Uh, my MacBook Pro, I should state, and then went to my iPhone. Great, works there. And then I went to my iPad. Great, works there. And I'm not even sure they were all even on the same network at the same time. And, and so it works great. Like I would highly recommend it. And, and they had like some sort of subscription deal at the time, so I paid like 25 to 50 percent off or something. Like that's when I decided to subscribe rather than using 
I think I had bought it before. Uh, it's been a while since I've had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was initially you could switch over to to the uh, subscription mode. I've never never really felt a need to, but um, yeah, I'm a huge one pass. I mean, I can't recommend i can't not recommend one password strongly enough let's put it that way i'm a huge fan of their product and and i i have a, over a thousand passwords myself stored in there right you know thing and and all kinds of other ways of organizing the, that secure data it's way better than you know the old uh, ringed notebook uh for keeping track of things right so and much more secure but in light of you mm. know um Basecamp's publishing of their uh, their travel advisory for their employees on GitHub, as Greg mentioned last week. This is uh, just a really cool tool. I, th- I wonder if you can actually make separate vaults, like if I could make my own travel vault and just uh, you know log out of my my standard vault and just r- run with the per- the private one. I don't see why not. Tim, I think you can. I, I'm yeah, recalling. it probably just requires a bit of work, right? Yeah. No, I don't think it. I'm, I'm trying to remember here because I use one password all the time, and I I haven't like gone in to configure it in a very long time, but I vaguely remember like when Bill, my husband, and I were setting our one passwords up because he uses it too. I think we have different vaults that are stored in the cloud, and I can choose which one I want. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think you can, but I'm I'm just thinking I'm like. You know, if I were ever to travel outside of the U.S. and try to get back in, like, what are they going to see? Cat pictures for me? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I might consider using this feature. Uh, I, granted, I, I sit in a very sort of different position, uh, being a, a U.S. citizen, so I have sort of different rights than let's, let's say like like you would, Tim, as a as a Canadian citizen coming into mm-hmm. the U.S. So it's a different yeah. consideration. But I, I do appreciate this uh this feature oh and before i forget uh i will advise that we are again are not lawyers and certainly not immigration lawyers so, no, 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 no no uh this is all provided for for entertainment purposes only so if uh, yeah, yeah. they put you away or they send you to guantanamo bay oh, don't blame us <laughs> send a postcard um, yeah exactly yeah. we'll send but you a t-shirt <laughs> But it doesn't make sense to me where you could say, like, these vaults, I don't know how it works between, you know, saving things. Like, I don't know if you would have to have duplicate entries or something. Um, Like, I've not tried this new feature. But the way I understand that it works is you say, you know, this vault here is safe for travel. And and maybe it's, you know, like the blog post, um, like, like Tumblr login or something. Ah, whatever. I don't care if somebody sees like, you know, go ahead and log in and see all my cat videos. What do I care? You know, put up a new one if you have some. Um, and on the other hand, you can say, Oh, but, but these things like the one that controls my website or the one that logs me into critical infrastructure, like Facebook login or Google login you know, these things where there's vast troves of data that, you know, nefarious people might want. Um, and when you say, oh, I'm going into travel mode, it then wipes the local vault, anything, vaults, I should say, any vaults that are not specifically marked as safe for travel, it will get removed from that device and not, you know, not like all your devices, right? So let's say, Tim, like you set it into yes, travel mode, yes, it yes. wipes all your, your, you know, I want to keep these safe vaults, wipes those, leaves only the safe for travel vault. So you come into the U.S. and let's say some other say, oh, well, you got to give us, oh, well, here you go. Great. You've got my Tumblr login password. What do I care? And then when you go back to Canada, you could turn it you know, back out of travel mode or home mode. I don't, I don't know what it's, what it's called. And then all your vaults that were previously, you know, not safe for travel will be returned back to your device. 
that's my understanding right. of how it works. So in a real-time follow-up, while, ta- while you guys were talking, I went into my settings on my 1Password, and I have the Pro package, Pro Features package, and that does include multiple vaults. So if somebody's, you know, like me, a long-time user, with the pro- and has done the Apple or the in-app purchase and got the Pro version, you can have multiple vaults, as Tammy was saying earlier. So I'm, I, I really must live in a different world because... Like I grew up in a time where we would leave our doors unlocked in our houses. And and so, and then, you know, I transitioned into the, being a network administrator for like fortune 500 companies and fortune 100 companies where security was a thing. And one of the things I always tried to get across to my users was this, it was a simple statement. Look, there is no such thing as a secure server. The only secure server is one that's in a locked room, unplugged, and turned in off dark. in the dark. And so, like, yeah. when people are like, oh, you know, I put all this stuff on my phone, I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally hear you. It's like, you know, if you're going to take naked pictures of yourself and your husband, maybe you ought to do it on a Polaroid. And not even send it to the Walmart to get developed. I mean, that's like, that's where I'm at with things. I, I can't even imagine having like, and I understand that people have to have that stuff, but geez, man, I don't know. I, I live in a different world. Well, you know what? It's not just, a, it's not just that us though. I hate to say it's, it's the, it's the younger folks, the kids, you know, the, those younglings that are running around with their devices who don't under, don't know what it was like, you know, when the scariest thing we had in our life was the boogeyman behind the door in our bedroom, right? Um, or the guy underneath our bed. That was that was as bad. You're right. We used to leave our doors unlocked in in uh, when I lived in Oakville, and you know, I used to leave my car pretty much unlocked. And and then one day, one day, I went out to play baseball, and my bat and my glove was stolen out of the back of my car. And you know, uh, somebody broke into our ha- walked into our house pretty much, or got into our house because it wasn't totally secure. It stole all of our CDs, and you know, we found them. At the local CD shop because that's how dumb the person who stole them was. But um, yeah, but yeah, with bits and wor- bytes, I mean, once you once you transmit it, and that can be from your device to your cloud, it's out there, man, for anybody. So it's kind of like what I always taught my kids when they were talking about people. Like, look, if if what you're about to say about this person is not something you would say in front of their face, don't say it. Don't say it on Facebook, right? Exactly. And it's the same thing with information. If you don't want people to know X, Y, Z, then guess what? Don't open your mouth. Don't put it on your cloud. Don't transmit it. Don't. I mean, yeah, I get that you have to have security and you have to make sure that your banking passwords and everything are secure and whatnot. But when we're talking about crossing the border with information that you shouldn't have, here's a pro tip. Don't freaking have it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly well, that's, that's what i was talking about last week like, like don't take client data with you don't take you know stuff you can afford to lose with you that's you know especially especially if like you know in the case of crossing the border i mean you know and i can tell you as a canadian crossing into the united states you know i've done it many many times I used to be you know i used to be a little concerned about it before 9-11 after 9-11 it became more difficult because obviously they had to do harder they had to be more stringent about their checks right and over time, it's just got it's gotten harder and harder, and to to comfortably cross into the United States, you know. Um, and yeah, now that we're all carrying these phones and and iPads and ca- uh, laptops, and we're all connected to everything, you know, it's so tempting and so easy to take it with you. But you know, and like we talked about a couple of times before, with even with two factor authentication, it's hard to do two factor authentication for a reason. 
right? But it also protects you. But doesn't doesn't like you said, it doesn't mean you should put, take that stuff with you on your your mobile device. What do you need in your mobile device? You know, a, an email address that you can access. You know, maybe some some Google Docs. You know, some pictures, and you need your boarding pass, right? That's about it. That's all you really need, really need to take across the border with you. Yeah, I guess I guess my bottom line with this whole thing is look. If it's in electronic format, there are going to be nefarious people who will try and use it for nefarious reasons. So really think twice about what you're doing with your data. If you don't need it, don't put it out yeah. there. Yeah. You know, because there are jerks out there that they, they, they will destroy you because of the information you have and your information as as much as you want it to be innocent and you just have it, someone will turn it against you. It, it's just the way yeah, that the yeah. world is. Yeah. Um, you know, even when I went to Ireland, it was like, well, what, what do I really need? You know, what, what do I have to bring? What, what's mine? What do I own that I'm willing to lose? And what do I have that's other people's? Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I left the other people's stuff back home. Right, right. I'm just trying to get this. Uh, all right, here's the, the famous Edward Snowden uh Quote, you know, arguing that you don't care about privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about freedom of speech because you have nothing to say. Does that fit with this argument? <laughs> well, yes, it's not necessarily contrarian to, to anything that's being stated, but it is definitely in the same spirit of a lot of this. It's a true story, but not relevant for this conversation. <laughs> Oh, I, I only say that because, you know, I could sit here and say, oh, well, I have nothing to hide. And that is true. But at the same time, I still want people to respect my privacy. But at the same time, I'm not going to give them an opportunity to break into my car. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. I have to be responsible for myself as well. I, I can't. There are always going to be jerks in the world who are always going to try and break into my private stuff. So even though I have a right to, to have these private things and, and not be spied upon, I have to also expect that there are people who couldn't care less about the rules of my privacy mm-hmm. and I need to protect it as much as I can. I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of like I, I didn't have to lock my doors in 1974, but that doesn't mean people weren't going to break into my house anyway. Right, right. I don't know if any of that makes sense. No, I know. I, I, I mean, it's it's kind of like the whole email spam argument. You know, the reason why people send spam is because it's not because they're they're out to get everybody. They're out to get that one point zero zero one percent who's foolish enough to click on that link. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and unfortunately, there's so many. The numbers are so huge that they can profit from that stuff. So even though you you ha- you think you have nothing on your your computer or your phone or whatever, that's could compromise your privacy. You're right. It's like, I, I, you don't want people pawn through your glove compartment in your car, right? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, do you remember when the GPS first came out, everyone would say, oh, don't, don't ever program home into your GPS with your address. <laughs> really? Be- do you remember that? Or am I like having... Yeah, or, or like if, you, or no, you're right. And then, or the other one was if you were on Foursquare, never say that you're traveling and you're away from home because then people will break into your home, right? Right. And, you know, even, even if those are urban legends, the, the truth of the matter is, look, I hate to use the cliche phrase that seriously, at the end of the day, you are the one who is responsible for everything that happens to you. And by that, I mean, you have a, you, 
you have a role in that. If I were to sit here and say, look, I don't have a passcode on my iPhone and I just put whatever the hell I want on there. If someone comes in and steals my iPhone and they figure out all the information there is about me, I'm responsible for that. Okay. I have some responsibility to that. I have some role in that. And yeah, while it's great, you know, in a utopian society that nobody would steal my stuff, that's not where we live. I have to understand that there are people out there who, who their sole purpose apparently in life is to make everybody else's life miserable. I have to be aware of that and I have to protect myself. And yes, while there are certain things that you cannot prevent from happening to you, you can take take steps to make it less likely that it will happen to you. Right, right. So here, well, let, let me close on this one one little story here. When we first moved into our house here in, in Toronto, we live like pretty close to downtown and, you know, it's just, there's, it's a, it's a condensed population, right? Um, we talked about getting an alarm system for our house, but we didn't do it, right? And we didn't even, like a friend of mine who was in security said, even if you put stickers on your window, that's enough of a deterrent that someone will choose to go to another house as opposed to yours. So anyway, all that that said, we didn't have an alarm system on our house. We didn't have sticker, uh, stickers on our windows. About six months after we moved in, some kid broke into our house. We assume it's a kid. He removed the windows from the basement and he climbed into our house and he basically went and found my PlayStation and he grabbed all my PlayStation games and stole my PlayStation, right? But he could just as easily have gone through every drawer in the house and opened up every single drawer. And that, you know, if you think about it, that could freak, you, freak some people out, like looking for jewelry or whatever. But all this guy was interested in was my PlayStation. And what pissed me off the most was he stole my memory card with all my saved games on it. Right? Yeah. I mean, you had to work towards those. Yeah, exactly. I feel your pain. I had, I've had something similar happen to me in my life. Yeah. You kids nowadays, you kids listening, like you we didn't, no we didn't have your fancy cloud saving with the Xbox Live and the PSN network. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't <laughs> duplicate a memory card. Well, you could, but it was hard effort and we were too lazy for that. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom line is you just have to protect yourself from the minority of people and and truly the the majority of people are good caring kind people who just want to get through life the way you do without incident but there is a minority of people who are just plain jerks and will do anything they can to stir up trouble and that's why you have to protect yourself you have to think about you have to think about that one percent of people who will be nefarious you have to think about that one percent of people who will sit there and and mine your stuff on your phone and steal your data and take your cards I hate that the world is like that, but it is. And you have to be mindful of your situation and your circumstances. And you do have to say, look, let me strap my tinfoil hat on a little tighter, make sure that I have my passwords and so on and so forth and not cross the border with information I shouldn't have. And it's not that I'm hiding anything. It's just that other people may not respect your privacy. And in order for for the people who, who do need to respect it, you have to respect it first. And that means being cognizant of the information you have on your phone. So that's Sorry. one password travel mode. <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell. That was definitely uh, the more than just code part of more than just code. Exactly, um, yeah. Coming back a little bit to code, just a little bit, is um, a blog post we have here from David Curry. I don't actually know who David Curry is. I, I just found this particular link via Twitter. It's about predicting fraud with TensorFlow. So this is follow-up to last week when you talked about what was going on in Google I.O. And Google was doing all sorts of wonderful things with its open source uh, TensorFlow machine learning technology. And so if you were 
listening to the episode and wondering, like, what are the practical applications with this beyond, you know, figuring out if, if this cat is, you know, a cat or maybe it's a dog or maybe it's a, you know, a chair. Um, in this case, he gives an example of his attempt at predicting credit card fraud. So he'd taken some sort of uh, transactional data with, you know, known sort of fraud. And this is a very long kind of interesting graph with a, lo- a lot of graphs, a lot of math, a lot of what I assume to be TensorFlow type functions. And the TLDR at the very end is he got pretty good at it. The machine was finding something like, you know, 82% of the fraudulent transactions. So if you were out there wondering, like, what would you use TensorFlow for? This is, you know, another application of it that I thought was quite quite interesting. And uh, I work for a a fintech company. So uh, banking is near and dear to my heart at the moment for what I do day to day. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is the kind of stuff that I I imagine our fraud team is using, but I've I've not reached out to them to, to ask them the specifics. No, but they could. And that's, that's kind of cool. I think, you know, how they present fraud, you know, especially with credit cards, which are so easy to, 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 uh, take advantage of these days, it seems, because we do so much purchasing online. It's, you know, it's so, I think that there's a lot of, uh, flaws in the payment card industry or what a PCI payment card information industry. Right. So, yeah. But it also comes back to one password because, you know, I'm able to mark all the credit card um, automatic purchases that I have and my one password as to which credit cards they belong to. So when my credit card got stolen a couple of months ago, I was very quickly able to go in and, you know, figure out which uh, accounts I had to update right away. That was a tangent. Yeah, no, that's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely the kind of thing. So kind of going towards, you know, security and, and machine learning, a lot, a lot of these things you'll, I think we'll find are, are quite interrelated. So if machine learning seems rather abstract, like these are sort of the, the practical applications you might have of it more than just like, oh, wow, this is cool tech, but what can I do with it? But it opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, it's not just about identifying cat videos on the internet. Exactly. Tim, I have to teach you how to go on a tangent. If that was a tangent, we need like a tangent <laughs> scale. Like you're on the 1.5. I'm like on the 8.8. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm trying to run a show here too. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, Jaime, why don't you tell us about uh, what Apple's, what has Apple done now? Well, they have put out a free curriculum on iBooks regarding Swift. So uh, getting started with app development with, or sorry, let me take that back. The iBook is called App Development with Swift. And it's a whole course that it also includes not only the student aspect of it, but the proctor or teacher side of things. So it has like the, the teacher's guide of, you know, let's imagine you're out there and you're trying to help your own local community. It could be, you know, a local church group or you're teaching at the high school or maybe you're helping some sort of uh, minority diversity group like Women Who Code or many others who are escaping my attention at this moment. But in any case, you know, if you're looking for material you know, traditionally we've had the opportunity to look at, uh, you know, there's paid for material, of course, um, out there, but in terms of free material, I think a lot of folks have looked at the Stanford courses, which are, are very good. And I've, I've not looked at that in a while, but when I first got started with iOS development back in 2011, I think, um, that course was actually really good for getting me off the ground. And I like the fact that this is available because it, it, it takes you through what, what's the curriculum? It's intended to be a full year curriculum. So it's um, pretty meaty, I think. Um, I think if you're an experienced iOS developer, it may not be the best thing, but if you're getting you know, started out on iOS development or, or maybe you're uh, somewhat intermediate and you want to bolster your, your abilities, I think this might be the sort of thing to check out. And even if it doesn't do, well, apply directly to you, you might know somebody you know, in your life who, or community in your life that 
might be interested in this sort of thing. So I think kudos to Apple for, for putting this out there because it's, it's not like they're getting paid for it, right? There's mm-hmm. admittedly, you know, maybe some self-interest in this because, you, you know, you need Apple's, you know, high-quality tools, as we mentioned before, to, to get this job done. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with more people learning how to code, and I, I think this is great. Yeah, no, I've used Apple's Apple's curriculum before. I just I downloaded the book just before the podcast to go through it. Um, they had a course last year, um, which they've actually just updated to, to Swift 3 as well. Or not a course, but they had a bunch of development books um, under their Everyone Can Code uh, thing. And we've talked about them in the for- before. They had uh, Swift plug- Playgrounds, um, and they had an app development with Swift uh, thing. But now this is Intro to App Devel- Development, uh, which has come out today. And um, it's, it's actually pretty good stuff. It's it's the, There was also a... Um, um, one of uh, Apple, a couple of Apple employees had started a, an online um, place for teachers to learn how to code. But uh, I think putting this in app in iBooks, making it free, puts it out there for people to uh, to use, you know, to learn how to, to learn how to do development here. Oh, actually, I've got eleven. I have eleven books in the series on my iBooks collection. I was telling Tammy before, I was surprised at how many things I have in here, but. Uh, yeah, so it's good. It's um, like you know, it's it's it has the you know the typical hello world app, and they have a couple of different. Um, yeah, our friend Adam might even find some useful tidbits out of this, since he said I think he said he was just getting started in uh, app development as well. So um, yeah, it's free stuff. You know, um, this this kind of quality of training material. You know, if it was coming from uh, some of the other book publishers that are out there, um, you know, they might find that. Uh, You'd be spending fifty, sixty bucks for a book like uh, like what Apple's put up here for free, plus the teacher's guide. Exactly like as Tommy, uh, Jaime was saying, the ability for a teacher who's not necessarily a programmer would at least know how to talk about the talking points in the in the in the lesson plan, as it were, right? As they go through these books too. So, Tammy, you had something to say about this, didn't you? I was trying to be quiet. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Look. Apple has had documentation on their stuff from the beginning. Very few people read it. A lot of people read all of the other stuff made by all of the other people out there, some paid, some free. Well, I think it's a great gesture that Apple is providing this fantastic resource at no charge. I think it's a little late to the party. Um, I just, I don't know. I think... Even, I don't know. I think it's never. I, don't, I think it's never too late for this kind of stuff. I it's mean, you it's know. never too late for this kind of stuff. But it's kind of like I don't know. It, I feel like I'm. I'm trying to find the words without being on a soapbox here. But I think it's. It's like yes, it's good. Apple. I'm so proud of them for doing this. It doesn't matter that they waited so long to do this. But I don't think that this is a game changer. I don't. I also don't think that the iBooks platform is really. A huge thing. Like, I don't know anybody who uses it. And when they do say they use it, they have a handful of stuff on it, except for you, Tim. I don't know. You're weird. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like, iBooks has been around forever, and very few people use it. All they ever, all I ever hear from my friends and my peers is that, you know, they, they have. Even Kindle's not even used that much. A lot of people are just going to YouTube and they're watching videos and they're reading PDFs online and they're and they're looking at tutorials that are in HTML format. It's short form. It's not these long winded things that are you know start from here and go to here twelve weeks later. You know it's short form stuff. And I just 
while I think there's a benefit here and I think there are a lot of people who will get something out of this, it's not a game changer. Everyone's making this big deal out of it. Like, oh my gosh, Apple has given us these. Apple has had documentation all along. Nobody reads it. I'm going to, which order? I'm both going to disagree and agree with Tammy. So um, I will disagree about the documentation side because I would challenge you to go look at the documentation for XCT Waiter from the XE Test Case family, and you will find that there is no documentation, which is <laughs> humorously <laughs> my part of agreeing with you. Like, holy smokes, the uh, the quality has gone down because <laughs> who released this brand new feature without any documentation? Well, yeah, there yeah, is and, that. and there's a lot of there's a lot of code. There's a lot of examples on the site that are still on the developer site. There's still Objective C. Oh, like, yeah, you know, there is that. You know. <laughs> Hey man, that that compiles at least. Go try downloading the advanced NS operations uh, sample code from 2015, which is in Swift. Uh, what, right, two? right. Well, and, maybe uh, they that will not compile, and it will not it will not migrate either. <laughs> they should maybe like I don't know update the the documentation there before starting off on this whole new thing. Yeah, but don't forget this. Think of the audience. The audience here isn't for people who have already gone through computer science or already have a job building an app for somebody. Uh, this is this is an audience to to entice young minds into this, right? You know, God forbid women, you know, young girls get excited about, about doing and taking jobs and looking for a future in, in computer science, right? You know, that's what this does. It, it, it puts the tools in, in people's hands. And I think that that in itself, you know, it, we got to spread the word. We got to tell people, we got to tell the teachers out there that, that this stuff is available. Unfortunately, like, you know, the way budgets are cut, I don't know what it's like for education in the United States, but Canada, we have a great education system here, but there seems to be so many cuts in budgets that all the extracurricular stuff goes out the window. Uh, hopefully, there's some teachers out there who will take initiative, get these these things, and go to their principals or whatever and create a lesson plan for teaching this stuff. I mean, I think that this is only going to be good for people to learn how to code, period. I hope so, because for years I have been saying, what are you teaching in computers class? Why are you teaching them how to use Python. MS Paint? Python, yeah. Right? Teach them Python. Teach them something good. So while I may sound like I'm all dogging this this new thing that they're doing, I just, I'm skeptical, right? Uh, I sense that. Yeah, you <laughs> sense it? <laughs> I just, I, I think that, I, all right, let me tell you how I really feel. There are so many great content creators out there and they're doing it free of charge. They're not, they're not looking for anything other than to, to drive the community to learn more, do more and be more. And now all of a sudden, those people who have been spending years and years and years and years and years pushing at the Apple brand on their own time and teaching people how to use these technologies, all of a the sudden they're going to be Sherlocked. Right. So yeah, this yeah. is this is how I really feel. It's like all of these great content creators are out there. They've been out there and they've been in the battlefield and in the trenches of teaching the other developers and other designers. Hey, this is what you can do with this fantastic software. And now Apple's going to just like swoop in and be like, hey, here's our free stuff. Check it out. It's like, dude, really? What about all these other fantastic people? These amazing people have been doing all this stuff for so long. Where are they going to go? Who's going to even care? Yeah, no, there's a lot to be said for that, Tammy. But I also think that that you know, I've worked in 
various areas of IT and you're always worried about other competitors and stuff like that. And and yeah, I mean, I got squeezed out of being an Apple reseller because Apple opened, you know, four uh, Apple stores all around me and and my customers would call me from the Apple store going, hey, here's that thing that you talked about. I have it in my hand. Should I buy it? And I'm like, yeah, buy it. You know, Uh, I had to give up being an Apple, Apple reseller because Apple Sherlocked me. But that doesn't stop me from evangelizing and from from compete, keep trying to keep moving it forward, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this this. To be honest with you, this content is like compare it to a Ray Runner like book, for instance. This is like one of the intro books. It's going to take you to a certain level, but you know the like the subscriptions at, at Ray Runner like get you into the advanced Swift stuff now, right? Uh, stuff that Apple's not going to talk about. That stuff by Ray Fix that he's doing right now is amazing. Like you know, um, there was a there was an article published just. Today, I think on object-oriented programming in Swift, I think was the title of the of the post. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I read through that today, and it was really clearly written and very you know very succinct in in how the terminology that you hear every single day in in you know things like encapsulation and terminologies like that and is very well well written. And even though it was like an introductory, introductory, introductory article, I still got a lot out of it because it just kind of cemented a bunch of things that I was a little unclear about myself. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, th- I think there, there is room for, for competitors. It's not like, you know, and, and yeah, and, and admittedly, you know, like, you know, I was working in a place where you would go to a course and you would learn the curriculum that is equivalent to what Apple's giving us for free. And that would be two or $3,000 worth of course, right? However, we had a hard time putting bums in seats, right? So even though we had, we had the ability to, te- to do these week-long courses, we'd get maybe five or six students two or three times a year. You know, hey, listen, if somebody's listening out there right now and they, they have an idea, they have a group they want to teach and they want to make a few bucks being the the, 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 the the sensei or the guide or whatever, here's an opportunity. Here's a teacher's guide for you. Here's curriculum that you can hand out to your students and you can walk them through. Because like, in a lot of cases, you know, students need, like even adult students, need the hand-holding and the guidance to go through these, even this kind of material. And to you and me and to Jaime, we look at this stuff and kind of go, yeah, we get this. But we get this that's why it's easy for us right but for people who are coming people truck drivers and bus drivers and out of work taxi drivers and whatever who want to learn how to code you know they they need this kind of material to be made available to them i'm i'm just i'm glad apple did this because it's about effing time that apple did this oh i'm glad they did it too and and you know i i might sound like i'm not glad but i am glad and let me tell you why and it kind of goes on to what you were just saying so yeah while i'm like Apple, what are you doing? I mean, come on, really? You're going to do this now? There are a mess of people who are going to find that content that are not going to find the content that you're putting out or that I'm putting out or that all these other great content creators are putting out. But they'll find that content that Apple is putting out. And they'll be like, oh, hey, I can do this. And I kind of felt like that with the um, the playgrounds. There are a whole mess of people now that, that are going to play with playgrounds and learn Swift that they might not have reached before and now they will right you know so it's just like look we're all here we're all part of this community we all have a story to tell we're all at a point in our lives where we're willing to listen to this and not listen to that for whatever the reason is yeah there's room for more learning there's room for more teaching um i haven't looked at what they're putting out but i hope it's more tutorial based then hey look this is how you use the thing no it totally is it totally is it's it's con it's it's concepts and then there's step by step you know this is how you build an app kind of stuff yeah totally it is okay 
I take back everything I said. Good <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And I just want to tell Adam, there is a personality quiz in the, f- the first book. So maybe take a look at that. <laughs> personality quiz being like a quiz kind of thing, which I think is what he was looking for, right? Indeed. What do you think, Jaime? This is what it sounds like when doves cry. I have no frame of reference for that. Really? Prince? Really? (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, he's he's sort sort of after my time, if you will, right? So, yep. Okay, it is with great trepidation that I introduce the next topic of conversation. I'm going to just shut my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will be less controversial. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. So so I, I asked the guys to look at this video, and it came out earlier this week, and it's called Today at Apple. This, I think this is going to be a pretty big thing. We talked about services uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when Mark and Jaime and I were talking about what Kevin O'Leary was talking about. And um, I think that what Apple is doing with the Apple store is it trying to move it beyond the the place where you go to buy a lightning cable to a go a place that you go to hang out during wwdc weeks um when i was down in san francisco apple would have events after at the end of the day and they would have like a, a seating area where a band would be playing or somebody like you know uh, aaron hillegaster and big nerd ranch would be doing a, a lecture or something like that kind of like a talk and they and i thought i thought that as a kind of cool thing to do right but now apple is at the apple store is having courses on hey do you want to learn how to do photography and and i think in an article i read um the other day um i'll have to find a link for that for the show notes but uh, it was about a guy who wanted to learn how to use to do photography so it had nothing to do with apple selling any products but about apple the apple brand or getting people into sort of hanging around and and becoming aware of all of the different things and insights that apple has to add and so in this particular case he went for a walking tour of uh new york city like a new york city uh, um, neighborhood and they taught people how to frame photos and how to take shots and how to work with lighting and how to work with you know aperture and all that kind of stuff and in taking digital photography and again like i said it had nothing to do with iphones or the fact that it has a camera and all that kind of stuff but um so this little commercial, it's one minute long. I'll put a link in the show notes. And um, these two guys watched it earlier today. And it's talking about um, it's talking about what Apple is going to do for people coming to the Apple store. And it's nothing to do with selling product. So it's all about the brand and where Apple wants, what Apple, Apple wants to be involved in our lives. And that's kind of sort of what this is. So um, Tammy had an interesting reaction. Insert reaction here. <laughs> So do you remember your reaction, Tammy? I don't know. Did it go something like, what did I just watch? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty much. It was, well, it was like you said, you said that it was like you watched a movie trailer, but you had no idea what the plot was or what the movie was about. Very true story. I mean. Do you want to watch it again? Do you want to take a minute and watch it again? No, 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 no. I, I, I remember. <laughs> and, and you're right. It, it was like, I, I think that what Apple is doing is good. Like they want to teach people how to use the product as opposed to to, to making good products. <laughs> no, it didn't have any product in it. You know, it was about teaching people to use apps and stuff, right? I, the plot was lost on me. Maybe at this point in my life, I'm like, whatever. But I, I really didn't understand their, their, their trailer in air quotes. Like if, if I were to relate this to a movie trailer, when I watch a movie trailer, I want to know what the movie is what the plot is, what I'm getting myself into for the next two hours. With the Apple Today, which was the the title of the Apple's trailer. Today at Apple, yeah. I get confused with words backwards and whatnot. But 
I didn't understand what their plot was. Well, here, let me give you an example, okay? Because it's similar to something I went to a couple of years ago. When we, we, we had just gotten our color, our 3D printer, right? And my, my Carol found a course that she was going to go on and she wanted me to go with her. And then it turned out she couldn't go in the long run. Long story short, my friend Marty and I went down. And what it was was a 3D printer, a shop that does 3D printing. They do laser cutting and 3D printing. I don't know if you know what laser cutting is. It's where you cut the wood and, you know, make fancy things out of it, right? But using 3D printers. And they sat us down. There was like 20 of us there in the room. And it was like $50 a piece. And we all walked in. And we all had, we all had to bring our own laptops, Macs and PCs. And they showed us how to use Mesh Mixer, which is from Autodesk, to to you know manipulate 3D objects and then hopefully print them out. And they gave us a very simple assignment to build a little brochure thing. And then we built a model and then we exported it to an SD card and then they took it over to the printer and they printed it for us and we sat there and waited like idiots for it to print. But the point was that they got 50 people into that room or 20 people into that room who then knew that this company did 3D printing, right? You didn't have to go off and buy a $600 or a $1,000 printer, but if you wanted to do some 3D printing, you knew where you could take to get your business done, right? You could buy supplies there. You could get printing done there. You could buy t-shirts, you could get cappuccino, whatever. But the point was they, this was an opportunity for this small little business to bring a, a group of people in. And maybe they did this once a week or once a month or whatever, but these little events that they had and they sold tickets through Eventbrite and a whole bit allowed them to expand their business. And I think that's what Apple is doing with these today at Apple events. They're going to have ballerina dancers there. They're going to teach you how to draw. They're going to teach you how to, you know, code, you know. I think that the, that it's going to be an interesting sort of like event that you can go to the Apple store and get involved. The museums do it, you know, like they have art classes at art at uh, art galleries and stuff like that for the same reasons, to get you out of yourself and into producing something other than what you started out with, right? Um, and meaning that, that you're, that's you're going to totally get involved, cool. right? That's totally cool. I'm all on yeah. board with that but the commercial yeah. that they put out for that doesn't say <laughs> any of that like just yeah, in typical apple fashion it's it's very vague in terms of what the product is right right you know, and i'm ter- i'm left scratching my head like okay i'm going to commit to two hours for this movie and i don't even know what it's about right right you know sitting here and having you analyze it for me maybe you need to watch all my trailers i don't know but (laughs) like that makes sense to me like i'm totally on board when you say hey look you know we're gonna teach people how to use this thing and 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 we're gonna bring you to a new platform and so on and so forth and have ballerinas and and talking bears and whatever the case may be fine great i'm all on board with that but the today at Apple commercials on YouTube or whatever these things are, that was totally lost on me. I'm like, mm, that okay. was great. I love the cinematography, but I had no idea what message they were trying to convey. Like, I really right, want right. Apple to stop trying to teach me how to use my computer and how to get around and do things because half those things don't work anymore. I want them okay, to okay. focus <laughs> on getting the things to work the way... Th- like, you used to be able to turn Cut. your... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Chop. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> Make it work. I to compose myself. <laughs> so, so, before you do... So here's a story. My, my art teacher used to say, like, you know, all great artists need somebody behind them with a sledgehammer to hit them over the head when they're done. I'm done. <laughs> okay, I mean, <laughs> what do you think? I will agree that this video, uh, like a lot of the videos that, that Apple does, is done in sort of that inspirational and aspirational style. So it, it's 
a little bit more, you, know, you have to interpret and infer what they're doing here. Like they didn't come out and say, oh, this is what we're doing. I looked at it and said, oh, okay. A lot of people in the classroom around the world, uh, it sounds like maybe they're they're doing that whole thing again, where they're going to teach people how to do stuff with their products, right? They, they sit at that intersection of uh, technology and humanities where, it, yeah, who cares that this thing has, you know, X.2 petaflops. Like, I care that this thing can make great video. I care that it can make music here about all these other things. Um, I think if it was, you know, some of their other technology competitors, they probably would have made it much more straightforward. Like, hi, we're Apple, you know, come by the local Apple store and learn how to do blah, blah, blah. Um, I think perhaps what they should have done is had one of those, you know, kind of mix the two, have one of those wonderful, like Johnny Ive voiceovers, like, hello, I'm Johnny Ive. Our products are so wonderful and easy to use. But if you still somehow are unable to use our products, come in to a local Apple store and learn how to do something. <laughs> yeah, it could have been called Whiskey, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, you know? Yeah, yeah. Trying to keep it clean. But yeah, totally like the, the Johnny Ive voiceover, you know. Um, well, there was, there was uh, Tammy was talking last week about the fact that she sees a lot of Samsung commercials these days. But I've been seeing... Um, a portrait mode commercial with the camera. I don't know if you've seen that one where they're, I think they're in um, Beijing or Shanghai or somewhere like that. And it's a, it's a couple, a young couple. And he's taking pictures of his girlfriend and he turns on portrait, portrait mode and everybody else disappears, right? So it's just him and his girlfriend walking through the streets of uh, Shanghai, which is probably nearly impossible to do. But, you know, um, it's suitably vague enough that you would wonder what the hell are they talking about? If you didn't like, I mean, right away, yeah, I saw them switch the phone to portrait mode. So I totally got the analogy they were trying to say. And, and maybe this, um, today at Apple piece that they've put out is, is too vague to sort of convey the, yeah, we're going to have classes at Apple, um, at the Apple stores. But I think what I, I think, I think I'm seeing beyond the, the commercial and seeing what the potential is from a business point of view for Apple putting bums in seats, you know, and bringing people into the, into their market. I mean, you know what? Microsoft is going to copy it in a week, right? They're going to have events at the uh, Microsoft stores. They've got nothing else to do there, right? <laughs> Indeed. You know what they could do? Fix their Windows operating system. I'm just <sighs> <saying>. <laughs> so that's it? Dude. Sure. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're done. Stick a fork in her. She's done. I was done like an hour ago. Yeah, I know. All right. So... <laughs> Anyway, so the last uh, topic we have here, a real quick one, is uh, has to do with Thunderbolt 3, apparently. This literally just came in about, we, so we're recording now at uh, 10 o'clock at night. This story came across the wire at 7 o'clock this evening um, that uh, Intel is going to be putting Thunderbolt 3 technology right into their, their chips to make it more accessible around the world. So I, I took a... a- quick review of the Ars Technica article that we'll have linked in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Um, my understanding is that, you know, this whole royalty-free bid is going to, well, one, I mean, it, it's going to lower the price, but w- what does that really mean? I think it it's something that they're going to try to, you know, expand the usage of it by by making it not quite, let's say, like, like an open source sort of thing, but really trying to push it out there. And it, and it does make me wonder if this is being done with a particular aim in mind. Uh, I mean, the article has a lot of, you know, uh, sort of history and I don't know, some of the, what do I call it? Like the, the minutia of, of, of what Thunderbolt three does, but I didn't really get the why 
Uh, and maybe it's linked here in the Intel. Well, can I, can I interject here? Because maybe a thought will help you. Because I saw you tweet the other day that about Microsoft now has USB-C ports on some devices, right? Uh, USB 3, right? Which is which is what Thunderbolt is USB 3 format as well, or size format or pin format. Because um, what you were saying that you can now you can have a bag of dongles on your Microsoft device. I can't remember if it was just... Um, uh, oh, yes, that's related to the new Surface Laptop, which notably right. does not include a USB-C port. Oh, doesn't it does not so it has a USB A oh. port and Microsoft's own proprietary I don't even know what they call the connector surface connector for lack of a better term oh I totally missed that point of that but tweet, they're, they're talking about doing a a dongle that would go from that proprietary connector to USB C and give what? you an option to do that yeah so oh. that's why I sort of made my my snarky you know now you can have a bank of dongles as we've talked about for the Mac side now you right. can have it on the Windows side too hmm. um, but in terms of the why like if, if I was to sort of like read between the lines here. Um, um, I would get like so it, was, it was worth pointing out that I had to look this up on Wikipedia that both Intel and Apple own Thunderbolt. Oh, so I, do they? I, okay. I, I thought it was one or the other. It turns out it's both. So it was right and wrong. And I bet you, I bet you that this is something that's going to help push adoption for Apple's needs where, you know, they've notably not done a monitor for a while. And right. I think when they started talking about their plans for the Mac Pro, or at least the, the fact that there will be a new Mac Pro, I think they talked about having a display solution of some sort. So wouldn't be surprised if this was like one of those steps to get them towards that. Hmm. And Intel will make a boatload of money because Apple will buy a whole bunch of these, you know, from Intel, you know, manufacturing plants, I'm sure. That's true. Yeah, I think, I think, well, I, I, you were sort of postulating earlier before we started taping that um, it's kind of like Fire FireWire, even though it was what that 1393 was, what, it, what they called it in the Windows world, never really took off um, very far. By the way, I just, just I, I didn't stop you guys at the time when you were talking about FireWire, but in my industry, which was uh, print and publishing, we had digital photography and FireWire was huge with us, right? We had uh, all kinds of stuff. We we had so much FireWire usage, or we used to break the pins off the FireWire connectors, right? So, like you were saying, you and Mark were saying that, you, or you and maybe, or maybe it was Greg and Mark were saying that um, FireWire didn't seem to get much use in their worlds. Yeah, I think it was, to your point, very heavily used in sort of niche areas and didn't become yeah, widely that's... adopted, certainly not as widely adopted as USB, which I think ended up winning that war right, despite right. being inferior in many attributes. Like I think it was slower and well, probably other things that I'm forgetting um, from back in the day. But I think the key thing was it was not a proprietary standard. He says, regretting the error, I'm sure, because I'm sure Greg, <laughs> Greg or Mark will be like, oh, actually, uh, but it was open odd. enough, even if it is owned by like a consortium or something, it, it was open enough where enough manufacturers got on board with it and it became it became cheap enough right like i think that was one of the things that that usb has sort of always gone with as a standard like we want to make it perform pretty well but we also want to make sure that you can buy these things for like 20 cents on amazon.com right, or yeah. something right like mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. it's always been a key sort of principle and i think that's where firewire despite sort of being technically better in a lot of other respects and i'm sure there were other reasons why that they ended up losing that format so it's kind of like the the vhs and betamax thing where in many respects, Betamax was superior to VHS, but right, yeah, you know, if you live through that era, VHS won, and mm-hmm. Betamax didn't. That's true. All right, well, we'll look forward to seeing what happens with that when it comes to fruition, as it were. All righty, it's time for the pickorama. I have no pick. No pick so, today. Okay, okay, no. cool, cool. So it's, it's the Jaime Lopez show. Jaime Lopez Jr. Take it away. Yeah. So my my first pick is, and I'm going to pre apologize because I'm I'm fairly certain this is only in the U.S. Um, it's arguably arguably also fu to to 
last episode's Google I.O. talk, and that would be the Google Assistant app for iOS. And this is something that Google talked about at their 2017 I.O. just, uh, what, a week ago. And it's kind of what you would think. It's an app that you can fire up on the iPhone that will give you access to the Google Assistant, which previously on iOS was only available through what, um, let's say most directly through the Allo app, kind of like iMessage on, on the Google platform, uh, if you think about that equivalent. And if you were fortunate enough to own a Google Home, you could sort of get a little bit of that interactivity through the Google Home app itself. This is actually a bit more similar to like sort of imagining what that experience would be like if you were an Android user where this is going to be you know, sort of fully integrated. It's, of course, you, you can't replace stock apps uh, on iOS. So there's this is not a replacement for Siri per se, because it's not going to register when you say, hey, followed by, of course, the word Siri. And I think that's okay, because it's, it's I think, part of Google's strategy here to be everywhere. And, and even though iOS's user base is not as, uh, you know, not anywhere close to as large as Android's, it's not um, the kind of market that you can just sort of write off, right? It's it's too large a number, and iOS users are just too influential in many respects, like you know, amount of money we spend and and, and other aspects to really ignore, right? Like it, it's it's sort of in Google's interest to be everywhere, and I think that's what this is part of. So it's kind of what you would imagine. So you have the little assistant piece. Uh, of course, if you've given it permissions to you know use the microphone and stuff, you can say hey or okay, followed by the word Google, and then it will trigger very similar. And you can say, oh, what's the weather like today? What's on my calendar? Um, what flights are there between you know Seattle and Toronto starting August 13th or August 16th? You know that sort of thing. And it's it's not bad. Like it's actually pretty pretty cool. I I would say that the voice recognition is somehow not as good as what the Google Home does. And I, I think that might be related to the hardware sort of trade-offs that the iPhone itself makes, right? The, the iPhone has, mm. I don't know, probably only one microphone and at most maybe two for like, you know, kind of stereo input or something. And yeah, noise so canceling has two of them, yeah. Yeah, and, and you're meant to be kind of close to it, right? You're not intended to be, you know, on opposite sides of your living room, let's say, if you have sort of a, a typical American house that has to be large, uh, you're tended to be kind of close as, as opposed to what the Google Home has, where it does have a couple microphones. And of course, it is intended to be used from, you know, sort of far field audio usages. But when you do use it, you know, for, for hands-free type stuff, it, it's pretty good, but it's kind of strangely not one-to-one -one with what you get out of the assistant on, on Google Home. Like if I ask it, you know, what's on my calendar today, it will display um, everything that's on my calendar for, for that day, but only verbally tell me about the first meeting or event, whatever have you on my calendar. Whereas the Google Home will iterate through the so I don't fully understand why, if it's supposed to be the Google Assistant, it, it's slightly different between the two, but uh, it, it's still pretty good. It, it's the sort of thing I could see myself using largely when I'm away from, from home, right? And, and I'm so in a hands-free environment. So let's say I'm like on a business trip or something and, and I don't have my Google Home with me, of course. I might be getting ready, you know, for my day in the morning and say, oh, you know, tell me about my, uh, my news for today, my news flash. And it would give me the same sort of things that I would experience at home. Hmm, so cool. if you can, and I apologize to our non-US contingent, I know there are many of you out there, um, give it a try if you can try it out. Well, they used to have an app called Google Goggles. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, it had some sort of intelligent mm -hmm. uh, use of the camera. Like you could look at a product and it would tell you, like if you looked at your Mac, it would tell you it was a Mac Pro and it would kind of sort of figure out what year it was manufactured and that kind of stuff. But so I was fascinated by the, the thing, and I didn't talk about it last week, but uh, one of the things was that they could take a picture of a flower or you could take a, you, not take a 
picture, but you could you could point your camera at a flower and it would use machine intelligence to tell you what what um, type of plant that was, right? Have you tried any of that stuff out? So I do not believe that the Google Lens that I believe you're referring to right, Google Lens, that was yeah. talked about at IO, I don't think that is available out in the wild yet. It, it might very well be on, I don't know, developer previews or betas of Android O, but it's right, certainly okay. not available through this app, nor are some of the Google Home enhancements they talked about available yet. But I'd have to look through my notes. I think some of those, they didn't give specific dates. It's more like it's coming this year. So right, I think, right. you know, if we see some of those things coming up, we'll definitely do some follow-up on the show. Sure. Actually, well, so speaking of follow-up, um, as you may have heard in the show, I hosted the Android group last week because our Android lead developer was down at Google I.O. And we watched the as much as we could of the podcast or the uh, keynote together. Um, but you were at an event in Seattle. So what did you think of the Google rollout of technologies? I think the thing that I learned the most out of Google I.O. is that Android is super mature at this point, and you're not going to see a lot of wow and pizzazz out of it. There there wasn't much for that. I expect the same will be very similar for iOS, which is also a very mature platform, and you won't see the holy smokes kind of wow that you would. And the attention is turning towards how do we integrate this into a whole ecosystem well, the ecosystem, let's say not even necessarily of products, because sometimes it's an ecosystem of services. Google is just throwing everything down into machine learning, AI, voice assistant, whatever you call it. Very similar things where they do cool, fun things with the technology, but that are directly applicable to your lives. Like they showed the example of Google Photos, which will now make it easier for you to share photos by saying, oh, well, we noticed that both you and your spouse are in these photos, and maybe you might want to share these photos with that person. We noticed that uh, these photos are really good. You might want to make an album out of that, you know, that sort of thing that, you know, like we've seen Apple's Photos app get something kind of similar, and this is like that, but to the next step, right? And it's it's a sort of thing that you don't go out and necessarily buy the hot new device, or you don't necessarily install the latest OS. You get this as part of a service through Google's ecosystem. And I think that will be largely true with Apple's as well. Uh, disregarding the rumor, of course, that they might release a, um, you know, a Siri, you know, speaker voice assistant in a box sort of thing, similar to the Google Home, the Amazon Echo. Uh, I'm sure that will be a lot of pizzazz, but that's really more towards the play of getting you more involved in their ecosystem. Hey, you should use Apple because we have Apple Music, we have iTunes, we have you know all these other things that we can do for you that aren't necessarily, wow, look, here's a new shiny you know device for users, nor is there necessarily, wow, here's a shiny sort of, you know, API or SDK for developers. It will be, you know, wonderful enhancements, uh, refinements more accurately for what's out there, but not necessarily, holy smokes, I can't believe they gave us this ability sort of thing is is what I both predict for WWDC coming up and also the way I look at Google IO that it was like, oh yeah, I think they're going to ship that stuff because that's all realistic stuff that they're already trying to do. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So I was actually pretty impressed with, with what I saw, um, you know, not sort of focused on being an Android developer, but um, it did seem to be some really interesting stuff coming from, from Google in, in general, you know, um, I think the, they've certainly grown beyond uh, just a search engine, right? Yeah. And and they kind of funny enough, they did have their uh cringe worthy 
Apple Music sort of scenario part of the keynote. Like when they talked about YouTube that didn't have anything interesting for developers, it was more of like a plug for, hey, you can spend money to make sure that your chat is near the top when somebody's live streaming. It's like, oh, great. Not really sure how that's applicable for the developer conference, but thanks anyways. Which reminds me of uh, poor Jimmy Iovine and, and company going out there and Drake going out there talking about, oh, here's Apple Music, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's great. I, I don't think that really belongs in a developer conference, but uh, thank you. Clap. <laughs> yeah hey come on drake won a bunch of uh war- billboard awards the other day broke some record or something like that indeed well maybe he should also to make it you know relevant to developer comments maybe he should download this uh developing apps with swift thing from ibooks <laughs> and put an app out there yeah put a <laughs> that has nothing but like hey you know, tap here to, to add my song to your apple music collection sure, sure. all right folks i guess uh tammy's still there tammy well, i'm here oh okay good we're about to sign off. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I guess that's it for another week, and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, we'll probably do our, our WWDC prediction uh, crystal ball show next week. What do you think? Yeah? Yeah, it might be well-timed. Yeah. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Tammy, if people want to rant at you, where would they, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter, Paradox927. All right. And as I said at the top of the show, I'm Tim Mitra. I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Goodbye. See ya. That was another amazing episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is Sean Marston from beautiful rural England. For more about the show and the team, visit the website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find summary and show notes for each episode and a whole load of other interesting stuff. There are links to the items talked about on the show and app store links for the pics. You can follow on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you like the podcast, leave a comment on the website. If you really liked it, please write a review on iTunes or on Overcast, press the recommend button. If you love the show, as I do, you can show your support by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Every dollar counts. These small things help spread the word and support the show. It's really appreciated. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time. That's enough from me, but I'm going to stick around for the after show. By the way, I, I don't. I don't know if you heard last week. I, I cranked up. Uh, I switched over to Amazon Prime, and my, my TV was advertising Amazon Prime for some reason. So I fl- flipped it on to see what was going on with it, and uh, I went through all the TV. There was nothing. I, I think I watched that Manchester by the Sea movie when it first came out, but um, you know the Casey Affleck one, and which is a good movie, by the way, even if he's apparently a horrible person, but. Um, I, the only thing I could find to watch was Serenity, and so it was great because I couldn't find Serenity on Netflix or whatever. And I wanted to I wanted to catch up and you know make sure I hadn't given you a bum steer there, Tammy. You know, so oh, God forbid, no, no bum steers over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Serenity hold, actually holds up as a, as a movie. But yeah, I, th- I definitely think you need to watch at least a couple of episodes of uh, Firefly before you watch Serenity. But Serenity is uh, a good movie. I started. I got I got one under my belt. You watched one one Firefly. Yeah. Yes, and I won't tell you what Jake said about it.
Yeah, it's it. Well, it's it's rustic. It's like old, right? So yeah, he said, "When was this produced? Year one." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, so I suspect I'll be watching it at the wee hours of three a.m. when I Man. get up. So. you know what? You know what? He should just he should. This is this is Jake talking, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, he, his opinion doesn't count until he watches <laughs> at least four episodes. So. His opinion doesn't count till he's eighteen. <laughs> That's true. Eighteen is is generous. I think people don't become people till they're like twenty five. So true, really? true, yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, you, you. I don't know. I don't. I can't really go that far back and be like, back in my day, you kids, we didn't have HD. You know what? Everything was fuzzy. That's the way we liked it. <laughs> Everything was square. There wasn't widescreen. We knew about black and white, but uh, that was from our parents' generation. We we didn't we see can too much. Count of that. to pixels. Yeah, no. Well, just to let you know, one of one of my uh, mother's um, aunts was called Tommy, and um, I, I think I don't know what her name was, but it wasn't Tommy. But so my she was my my youngest sister's godmother. So Auntie Tommy used to send us like Peter Rabbit books all the time, and yeah, so t- Tammy Tommy, that's okay. Peter Rabbit was the bomb, man. <laughs> uh huh. Tommy's like, what are you guys talking about? I I've, I've perhaps encountered only one peter rabbit i don't know like it just didn't end up as part of my my hey man growing up there was like what about peter and the wolf rabbit. peter and the wolf yes although i that's an tend opera, to though. think of the the version for whatever reason that stuck in my head is what i said a disney version yeah yeah the, where the, the kid goes out there and mm-hmm. the wolf is rather, rather terrifying for children. I don't think they would show that nowadays. And momentarily appears that the, his duck friend has died, but it turns out he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I to what is the common Jewish. thread in all Disney movies? Let me not say all. The Foxes majority. No. Well, yeah, but other than that. The common the, thread. The common thread in all Disney movies. No mom. Mom's gone. Mom died. Really? Really? Mom disappeared. It's, there's a stepmom sometimes, but right, a wicked stepmom. Ma- yeah, usually she is wicked, but there's no, there's no like mother figure. It's all dad or an hmm. absence of mom. Interesting. Yeah, that is true. Right, you can go through the classics like uh, Cinderella and Snow White. You can look at um, something a little bit slightly more contemporary. But Snow White's Snow White's mother is the evil queen, though, isn't she? I thought that was a well, stepmom. Was that her direct? That's mom? evil stepmom. No, that's is stepmom. It? Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they they get all those from all those German. Those are all from German and European fairy tales, right? All those stories, like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, and a lot of them are. Yeah, Pinocchio um, is so Italian, con- right? So continuing on, you end up with the Little Mermaid, no mother. Mm. Um, yeah, Lion Little Mermaid. King, she okay, dies Lion, at the end of that, Lion, Lion King has a mother. Um, yeah, but she's a bit player. <laughs> true, true. Uh, Aladdin has no mother or father, and Jasmine has a father and no mother. Oh, really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a big theme. You can continue on. I don't know. Look at um, Frozen. The parents are both dead. The um, I've not seen Moana, but she doesn't appear to have any family. Um, Stitch, right? Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch. It yeah, was the Beauty sister the Beast, as a yeah. mother figure, Beauty but as a Beast, stand-in right? for a mother. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Now, granted, some of these are rehashes of old stories told generations before Disney was even a blip on the map, but still, interesting. Completely irrelevant to any conversation we were having. No. But just an interesting point. Well, the Dalmatians have a mother. Bambi. 
Well, Bambi's mother gets killed. Right. <gasps> Spoiler! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I feel like we should do a podcast based on that sort of topic, like, you know, reviewing media, you know, new or old, and just sort of shooting the breeze on stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll start with Bambi. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's the oldest TV program you remember watching as a kid? Twilight Zone. Really? Hands down. Yes, dude. No, no, no. Totally. no seriously, that was the, that's what you remember, the earliest program you remember watching as, as a TV? Look, if we were TV? to do, yes, if we were to do Free Association, that was like immediately the first okay, that okay, popped okay. into so mind. Okay, okay, okay. So which episode did you see first? Okay, the first one that popped into my mind, I don't know if it was the first one I saw, but the first one I remembered mm-hmm. has to be the one with Burgess Meredith, where he, and it's yes, probably yeah. he right where, he, yes, yes. Yeah, you, know who, and, you know who wrote that? No. Woody Allen. I did know that. I forgot yeah. it. But it, I think we yeah. talked about it before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jaime, what about you? What was the first TV show program you remember watching? I it's okay if it's Barney. It's okay. No, I'm not, I'm not that young. <laughs> uh, I think it was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Really? <laughs> four or five I when have out. the power! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed way more epic and not dumb <laughs> when I was a wee lad yeah, than it does cool, now. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we didn't yeah. have TV till I was about six. So for me, it was Batman. The you know the campy sixties Batman. Ooh, the Adam West Batman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and crack, and, and, kazam, pow. Yeah. So I have the box set sitting right over there. I just haven't gone through it yet. But yeah, for sure. Wait, is it on DVD or VHS? It's on or Blu-ray. Betamax. Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, Blu-ray. Get out yeah, of here, a, dude. There was a box box set that came with a little dinky, a little corgi dinky toy, whatever you call those things, right? So I had one of those too. I used to cut my sister's um, necklaces with them because he used, used to have this blade on the front of it would cut through chain so they used to get really pissed off at me <laughs> yeah that was my first show I was, I was able to watch i do remember watching an early episode of um star trek you know the, the doomsday machine where the planet eats or the snow cone that eats planets that's how i remembered yeah. it when i was six right seven six or seven yeah and the uss constitution is used to like sacrifice itself inside of the machine to destroy it really yeah oh you mean oh i mean the, the spaceship the u.s oh yeah yeah, not not the Enterprise, but it's like sister ship of the same class, the USS Constitution. I thought um, Spock went inside it or something like that. Maybe. It's been a while since I've seen that episode, but there was like another yeah. captain who ends up sacrificing himself. Yeah, we talked about this on, on Randabout a couple of weeks ago, but I'm, I, I noticed, I get that they've had to make it high res and stuff like that, but I wish they had left the original spaceships and planets in the, in the show, because I, you know, those had a certain amount of charm, like 60s charm to them, right? But they've all gone gone back in and 3D rendered them like Guido shot first kind of thing, right? So yeah, I, I, I do think I mean, certainly there's a market for that, but I think they they sh- they should have a you know high res, but yet more of like restoration style of right. They should have like gone and improved the improved the the plates as opposed to re rendering the the images, right? Yeah, yeah, and I I know that once things go into video, like I think I've heard that at least Star Trek Voyager possibly. Deep Space Nine, or at least part of it, will be very difficult to move to something like 4K because really um, they hadn't they hadn't like there is no like film that they can go to. Oh, they can scan it back in the high res. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they'll upscale or something. But see, there's like another topic for this this two B podcast. Like, which (laughs) Star Trek series is the best? Yeah, yeah, and, and and maybe some sort of ranking of them, especially because but, Star Trek Discovery is coming out relatively soon. Yeah, soon. Yeah, 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 but I think it's more than Star Trek. I mean, let's uh, we could expand it to all pop culture. We got Star Trek, Doctor Who, 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, there are a lot we could totally talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I can come in with my controversial opinion that uh, at least in the United States, the mistake hey, that Paramount did with Star Trek allowed Doctor Who to become a thing in the United States where it was the not what? before. Oh, oh, when they went to war, you mean in, in the in the um, what was that series called Enterprise? Well, I think Enterprise is part of the missteps in that they started making Trek that is generally, you know, not good. And But I think Black. it kind of started in Voyager, and, and there was still some missteps with um, Deep Space Nine, even, as, as great as that series is. But having this dead period of, like, I don't know, almost 10 years in between, you know, the very last Enterprise episode and Star Trek Discovery has allowed these, you know, sci-fi fans to be... Like Firefall, Fire, Firefly. <laughs> Fire what? <laughs> I, I feel like... It, Serenity you know, who? <laughs> these poor people have been, you know, desperate for sci-fi, and they had nothing, and there was Doctor Who with waiting in open arms to, to lead them astray. Who's the guy who did Buffy? What's his name again? Uh, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, yeah. yeah. He, like, he did all those, you know, Dollhouse and Angel and Buffy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, and Firefly and, and just had to get that in there. Wait, he did Firefly? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. What's that show? So, <laughs> so here, let, let me give you let me give you a tidbit about Firefly. Next, so next time you watch the next episode, you'll you'll totally get this right. In order to film the show properly, right, he actually made a life size Firefly sh- for the set. Get out. So when they're walking through the Firefly, they're actually walking through the entire set. Go back and watch that first episode, and you watch. Um, what's the name of the guy? Who the the captain guy? Uh, uh, who doesn't age? He's like a Tom Cruise man. He looks N- the same Dillon, age. No, uh, he doesn't. He watch him on Family what Guy. What's the dude's actual name? Nathan Nathan Fillion, right? Nathan Fillion. He's Canadian. I, don't know, yeah. I can't remember the name of the. Guy. You Canadians <laughs> don't age. I'll tell you what. Uh, we do. We do. But no. but um, haven't you seen him on on? He's been on uh, Modern Family. He looks horrible. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he plays. He plays the the the, the daughter's <laughs> boyfriend. Like he's like forty years older than her, or something like that, right? Um, but anyway, so um, so they built a life size. Yeah. So the, like, if you watch the very first episode, they, they walk in, in the back door of of the ship. He walks all the way around the, the the crew container as he's talking to everybody. He walks into the crew cabin area and he walks onto the onto the bridge of the ship, and and it's all done in one take. That's Joss Whedon for you. I think they do the same well, thing in Serenity too. I mean, arguably, that's the reason the show. One of the reasons the show is not on the air anymore, and like that was really expensive to do. Yeah, yeah. For <laughs> like sure. you go back to Star Trek: The Next Generation for their pilot, they explicitly made a scene. Uh, the writers made a scene like in engineering because they knew if we don't build it for the pilot, they're never going to build one. Right. So right. we better use up the budget now so that we can keep coming back to engineering. Like they so, were actually trying to save money. Tidbit of about, about you. So you know, you were talking earlier about the fact that they were able to scan the film of the original Star Trek series to make the high res version that we see now, right? The reason mm-hmm. why it was filmed on film was because it was done by Desi Lu Productions, right? Oh, I love Lucy. And Lucy Lucille Ball was the only reason that Star Trek was made at all. What, uh, right, right. What, I've, I've heard something is, like that. I feel like this is a bad nineteen eighties play of Trivial Pursuit. I, I, I'm having like terrible acid <laughs> flashbacks 60s, right now. <laughs> Man, no, I remember Lucille Ball and and I love Lucy and Ethel and Fred yeah, sure. and yep, yep. Ricky. No, see, look, man, 
we could have a whole show about real TV <laughs> versus what the hell they got on now. I mean, yeah. that was classic television, right? Laverne and Shirley, yeah, and yeah. and uh, come on, the Car Fifty Four.